0: Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from our series entitled, Abraham, the Father of Our Faith. For more information about CBC or how you can get plugged in, visit the website, cbcsavannah.com. We come to a faithful God, a gracious God, a loving God who is triune, one God, three persons, who love us. Who, Father, you send the Son so that we might have life. You fill us with your Spirit so that we might have you with us forever, giving us hope, interceding for us, moving when we don't know what to do. And so, uh, Father, we worship you uh, as, as, as Father. We worship your Son as Savior. We worship even the Spirit as the guide and the helper who comes alongside. And we do so because you are good and you are holy. Please help me now, again, to encourage your church, to build your church. I have nothing in myself that could do that apart from you, and I probably need this sermon more than anybody, and so I don't come as one telling others what to do. I come telling what your word says to me, and so help me this morning, for your name's sake, for your glory. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. Man, this thing's a mess up here. I got announcements. I got all this stuff. They're messing up my stuff stand here what's going on this place all right uh, we are in genesis chapter 20 still genesis first book of the bible so if you don't have a bible there's one around you somewhere you can open up to chapter 20 this is one of those sermons i want to apologize right up front probably not applicable to most of you okay just a small few of you because this is a sermon for people who have said something like this in their life i'll never do that again that was stupid. What was I thinking? I swear it'll never happen again. And since that's so few of you, I'm sorry that most of this, it's only for a few of us in this, in this series. And so if, it, if that, you don't think that relates, you're free to leave. Um, go get some coffee. Nobody? Bunch of sinners. That's what y'all are. Y'all are sinners. You should see my, my staff is filled with a bunch of sinners. Let me tell you a story about one of our staff guys. I won't tell you who he is because he's young and very impressionable and he leads worship every week. And so you don't want to know who he is. <laughs> okay, so, so this young man who has a great beard and wears Patagonia, he has an iPhone because everyone on the staff is required to have an iPhone because we don't let anything PC. Um, so all Mac, right? So, so he's got an iPhone, very smart of him, but he doesn't use a case on this nice iPhone 6. And for months we've been telling this young impressionable lad. Because he does this, he's, this thing, he flips it around. If you've ever seen him, he does this. He's like, it's like, cool. It's like, I don't know. But he flips it around. I'm like, dude, you got to get a case. You're going to break that thing. Nah, it looks better without it. Right? And it does. Let's admit it. It looks better without it. But all of us know it's going to happen. So he, you know, he makes it a couple months because the Lord is patient with him, not wishing for him to come to repentance. But sure enough, a couple weeks ago, I see an old boy with his phone. Guess what? Crack. Right? So I'm like, see? You're going to get a case now. Doesn't get a case. Drops it again or something happens to it again a week later. Right? This time it doesn't work anymore. Like you, 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 it's only half the screen works. So you can't actually get to anything. And so you try to call him and he doesn't answer it. He doesn't answer it when it works, but he's especially not answering it when it's now. <laughs> right? so, so he has to go in under the discipline of the Lord, spend $130, to get his phone fixed. Great. Now, you're going to get your phone fit. You're going to put a case on that thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Put a case on it. Right? Two weeks later, still no case. We're in staff meeting on Tuesday in the concrete coffee area. I'm sitting next to this young lad. And, uh, you know, we're listening to Rad tell us something about uh, working hard. Right? And so we're, we're listening intently, and all of a sudden the phone goes flying. I don't know how it happened, but it makes that sound. And you know that sound, if those of you who have had it. And it lands face down on the concrete. And there's that moment, we've all been there. You don't want to pick it up, because you know. you like, Ugh! So we're all like watching. Like, no one's listening to Rad anymore. You're all listening to the phone. Oh, he's spared. The grace of God, right? But there's Tony over in the corner. Tony's sitting on the other side. Tony's just shaking his head. He gets his Amazon.com out and says, I'm going to order this for you, right? Still, to this morning, no case. Just telling you a second. Just telling you. This is what theologians call a besetting sin. Okay. It's that recurring, rebellious spirit that keeps showing up in your life. And here's the thing. We all have them, Right? We all have that, that issue, and in all seriousness, it's not silly phones, it's, it's junk that bugs us, it's been, we've been dealing with it for 30 years, 15 years, maybe it's grumbling and complaining, maybe it's some kind of addiction, maybe it's, uh, you know, whatever, pride, maybe it's lust. It's this, this recurring issue in our lives, right, and we all have them. And we're going to come to Genesis 20 today, and we're going to see Abraham has it too. And he is going to do the same thing that he did eight chapters earlier. Right? And in fact, it's so similar that liberal critics of the Bible say, well, it's the same event. It's actually so similar, they say it's the same event. Moses just makes a mistake, and he tells the same story over again. And then he does it again in chapter 26 when Abraham's son does the same exact thing. So it's just, it's not the same event, it's the same sin, it's the same issue, but it is a different event because it's this guy's besetting sin. It's his phone and case. And so we're going to look at it and, and hopefully get to see a couple principles from this story that help us deal with ours. And and, and I'm not promising some formula You know, you just plug in this and everything's going to be great. It's not so simple. If it was, we wouldn't have these issues. But what I am promising is there's some principles here to help us start moving towards the light, to start seeing more and more victory over these these struggles, whatever they may be in your life and in mine. All right. Let me give you a quick kind of recap where we've been for those who are new, those who are visiting, those who forget, uh, whatever. We have been studying Abraham's life. For the last 8, 9, 10 weeks, the last couple of weeks we saw that God had actually visited Abraham and he told him some good news and he told him some bad news. The good news was you are 99 years old and you're going to have a kid, which I don't think is good news, but it was for him. All right. The bad news was I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And we saw him do that last week, that God brings judgment on this wicked city that had rebelled against him. Right, and, and as you end, really, chapter 19, or in the middle there, you have this picture of Abraham. He's 20-something miles away, but he's staring towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's just like a furnace. It's just a, a flame, right, of just fire as God's judgment is poured down. And that's where we really pick up the story in chapter 20. So let me read chapter 20, verse 1. From there... Abraham journeyed towards the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur and he sojourned in Gerar. So we have Abraham doing what he's been doing for 25 years now, wandering, sojourning. Why he leaves the current spot, we don't know. Maybe he's bored, maybe God tells him. Maybe the land is just not fertile anymore because of, of the judgment of God. But for whatever reason, he moves to, to Gerar, which is the future home of like Israel's number one enemy. I mean, this is the Joker for Batman. Now, you know, Batman's got a lot of enemies, but his number one bad guy is the Joker. The number one bad guy for the Israelites are the Philistines, right? The Philistines. And so he moves to a place, the future home of where the Philistines are. It is a bad place. It is, you know, a wicked group of people. Um, they're all tall. They all like the Braves. They're bad, all right? So, so that's where he is wandering, and, and this is what happens. And this is where we get a little deja vu, for those who have been here since the beginning. It's chapter 12 all over again. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. This is where if you're drinking coffee, you're like, <laughs> What? Again? You're gonna do this again, Abraham? You didn't learn? And so what happens? He tells you, she's my sister. Abraham and Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Shocking. What's more shocking to me than the fact that Abraham does this again is that Sarah, apparently at 90 years old, is still a hottie. <laughs> I told you, it's the secrets of the Dead Sea salts a couple weeks ago, right? <laughs> but whatever it is, so they go into this new area, and Abraham is so worried that his wife is so hot that he says, okay, I'm going to tell everybody you're my sister, So because if they think you're my 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 spouse, they're going to kill me. But if they just think you're my sister, then they'll just take you and I'll get to live. What a great guy. He's just a good husband. Right? A brilliance. And you got to think, wait, did you not just, didn't this just happen 20 years earlier? Did you not learn that this doesn't go well for you? Nope. Do you not remember that literally three, four weeks ago, God himself left heaven, sat across the table eating curds, whatever curds are, and told you you're going to have a baby in one year. You and Sarah. Do you remember that conversation? Doesn't think about that conversation. All he thinks of is he moves into this town. They say, hey, pretty girl. See your wife? Nope, sister. Great. That's all he knows. And so they take her. And... And it's very matter of fact, and you don't have a lot of details. But I want you to feel the tension of that. I mean, you're talking about his wife again. And you can imagine as these these Abimelech's camels or horses ride in, and they grab Sarah, and they take her, and they put her on the horse. And she kind of looks back one last time at her husband like, what in the world? And he's watching his wife get taken again. The emotion and the chaos and the pain. Of that moment, here's a guy, decades later, still has the same sin issue: lying. That's his deal. His default, when stuff gets tough, he lies. All right? That's, that's Abraham. Praise God that we have nothing in common with Abraham. Whew. Amen, Let's, you're dismissed, All right? Or is there something there? So here's what's happening. Abe is in the same situation. He's got the same fears. He's got the same result. Same, same, same. Here's what, Here's kind of first thing for us this morning, right? As we fight these things, and I don't know what your deal is. I know what my deal is. But as you fight these things, here's the first way that we can kind of start seeing victory and kind of dealing with these things is know or beware of your triggers. And what I mean by trigger is, is an event, a circumstance, An emotion that will cause you to want to indulge in that thing, right? Whatever it is. And so you've just had a long and stressful day at work, and you got this big project, and you got the boss visiting next week, or you got the big exams, and so you're just stressed and anxiety and all these things. And so just a few pills will just take the edge off, just a few drinks extra. In the closet, no one will know. It's a trigger. You get in a fight with your spouse, you get in a fight with your parents. You're mad. Driving in the car. Get the minivan out. I'm gonna go do that thing. I'm gonna go visit that bar. I'm gonna go whatever. Because I'm mad at my mom. Right? It's a trigger. For some of you, it's this. This is your trigger. It's all alone, it's late at night. Your spouse is asleep, your parents are upstairs, got the remote, you know, a little tea, oh no one will ever know. All alone. Roommates are out. It's a trigger. Right? Or or you're hungry or you're angry or you're lonely and you just can't handle that. So I'm gonna go binge eat. Or I'm gonna go to some other functional savior. Right? After a great victory This is a trigger for many of us After you have a Maybe you get the job promotion Maybe you got the raise Maybe you got into that college Maybe you got the scholarship Maybe your team won the championship Maybe it's a spiritual victory Had a great quiet time Had a great church service Had a great community group And, and right on the cusp of that Is when the enemy is going to attack And it's a trigger It's know and beware Of the areas in which you struggle Look if you can't handle Driving by the ABC store Go around That's the trigger Some of you it is Know yourself so that you can avoid these things. That's the goal, so that you avoid them, right? So that you don't indulge. Because, listen, church, it is always easier to flee temptation than to resist it every time. It's always, it's always easier to to resist, I mean to flee, to run, than resist. But sometimes the honest truth is we cannot We cannot flee, right? You're going to be at the office. You're going to face the stress. You're going to see all these things. And so what do we do in that case? That's why community is huge. That's why relationships, this is why you are not meant to live this Christian life alone. Adam is put in the garden. Everything is perfect. And God says it's still not good for you to be alone, Adam. You need somebody. But everything's perfect. You're not meant to live alone. And what, what, what different would this have been for Abe? If he calls his wife and says, honey, I am scared. I'm just nervous. We did this before, I know, but I'm feeling the tension and I'm feeling temptation to, to go tell him you're my sister again. Oh, you! I remember that last time. You better not do that. I mean, what, what if he just would have said, honey, will you please just pray for me? I'm just scared. Or if he would have went to his chief shepherd or his chief banker or whatever and said, dude, we're going in this bad place. I'm nervous if he just would have had those conversations but what does he do? He falls. Same thing. Same thing. Right? And and blows the whole deal up. Know your triggers. Know yourself. Know your kids, know your spouse. Right? Let's let's see what goes let's, let's see what happens. And understand this, and and to the between verse 2 and 3 there's like time. It's it reads real fast but there's actually weeks, maybe even months. That have taken place. Because we're going to see that God has brought a curse on Abimelech. And the curse is no one can have babies. That's not something you discover in a day. All right? It takes a couple weeks. Like, dude, no one's getting pregnant. A couple months. Like, dude, no one's getting pregnant and having babies. And so it's, it's some time between 2 and 3. Verse 3. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken. For she is a man's wife. It's like very godfatherish, isn't it? Leave the gun, take the cannoli. You're dead. I mean, that's that's, that's it. God shows up in this man's dream after months and says, you're dead. You're dead. You're done. And and look at his response. He's like, now, Bimelech had not approached her. He hadn't approached her because God didn't let him get near her because of this curse. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? I haven't done anything. Did he not say to me, she's my sister, and she herself said, he is my brother? They're both laying on this deal. I didn't know anything. And the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. He said, I am innocent, God. And the irony is, he is praying the exact same thing that Abraham did in 18, when God says, I'm going to judge Sodom. You know what Abraham says? Are you going to judge the right? Are you going to kill the righteous too? He is now saying the same thing as Abe. Who is the good guy here? Who is Moses telling you, is showing you is the good guy? Is it the chosen one of God, old Abe? Or is it this pagan king? It's the pagan king. He's got the moral high ground. He's the one that's innocent. He doesn't know what's going on. And and something needs to be said here. This is kind of extra. It is a sad thing. And it happens all the time. But it is a sad thing when those who know Christ... And those who don't, those who don't have the moral high ground. That the the guy that has, that's not Christian, but has a business, that he is more honest, that he is more trustworthy, that he is more faithful, that he shows up on time, that he doesn't overcharge, that he does better work than the the Christian. It is sad. It is sad when a non-Christian is more faithful to his wife, to her husband, than, than the Christian. That that he's more committed to his children, that he's more engaged in their lives than the believer. It is sad, right? It is sad when the, the mom's got, a, you know, 16 fish on her car, her minivan. She's doing the one-finger wave down Abercorn. It is a sad truth. It is sad when the, when the van has the big Christian fish on it and real men love Jesus sticker and Promise Keepers 96 but he overcharges and he doesn't do the work. It's just sad. But that's, that's when you allow these besetting sins, that, that's what happens. And, and it leaves a train wreck of people, innocent people in its wake. And it should remind us it's, the potential is all there. That you have the potential to be that guy at soccer practice. In my case, at volleyball. And yes, that is me. So it's just a sad truth. And so here's the second thing, right? I mean, you see this guy Abimelech and God says, I know that you're innocent. It was I who kept you from sinning. I didn't let you touch her. Here's the second thing I want you to think about when we deal with these besetting sins is think about those who are impacted by it. Think about those who are affected by your sin. Think, who's affected by Abraham? Just real quick, Sarah. Okay, that's a biggie. How is this going to impact their marriage if when, when she does get back? What she doesn't know is going to happen yet. There's going to be some trust issues. There's going to have to be some Dr. Phil going on for a couple weeks, right? I mean, there's going to be some marriage counseling going on. I, that's a big one. I Think think about Abimelech. Abimelech, him and his whole house are impacted by this deal. And they don't even know it. what's going on. you got servants in the house. They can't have babies. Why? Because of him. They don't even know who that guy is. The impact. His own son, who's not even born yet, Isaac, who's going to, we're going to see him born next week, 20, 30, 40 years later, he is going to do the same thing his daddy does. Where'd he learn it? The daddy. Think about all the chief herdsmen and all the guys that work for Abraham, where they're saying, hey, can we trust this dude? He's going to hang us out to dry like he hung his wife out to dry. Think about the reputation of God. All those impacted Right See the problem with besetting sins Is You're you're not thinking of other people You're only thinking of yourself That's the reality It's a selfish deal We're we're not thinking of others We're thinking of me And and you get to hear a lot of talk And you know psychology and all this You just need to learn to love yourself If I understand the Bible You already do In fact, if you read the entire Bible, you never actually are commanded to love yourself. It actually, Jesus says, love your neighbor like you love yourself. There's an assumption that you already do love yourself. Right? So so what scripture always points you to is not self-love. It's understanding God's love for you. That's where the scripture always goes. That you understand your identity and your value is in the love of Christ. And then as you understand God's love, you reciprocate, you love him back, and then you love your neighbor as yourself. Abraham's problem is not that he doesn't love himself too little. Oh, you just need to love yourself some more, Abraham. You just need to to have better self-esteem. His problem is that he loves himself too much. So he doesn't deny himself. He sells his wife out. He does not model what Christ does who gives his life for his bride. Right? That's his problem. That's, That's ours. And when we keep going back to these sins, it's often because we don't think about who's impacted. Right? And so... See the teenagers in the room, the young folks, when you're lying to your folks and hiding this over here, and got this secret boyfriend that no one knows about. Got this little Snapchat deal that no one sees because it gets deleted, right? Yeah. And you're hiding, hiding, hiding. You don't think about the impact. What what does this do to the trust of your parents when they find out that you really weren't at the library, that you were at some party on Tybee? What does it do to your family structure when they got to go down at two in the morning and get you out of the big house? Or they got to pay for this because you got in an accident at three in the morning because you were a little bit inebriated and now this person's hurt. And do you even think about how it could impact beyond? Young guy, and you're kind of aggressive and going after this girl and you're trying to use her for your deal and whatever. Do you even think about what this will do to her future? How she won't be able to trust men anymore. How she's going to struggle with this and this issue because you are a jerk and selfish. How are you going to impact her for the rest of her life potentially? No. That's the problem. We're not thinking about our other people. You got the anger problem. And so your kids have to walk around in eggshells at the house or your employees have to walk around in eggshells. And instead of your home being a safe place and a refuge, your kids have to hide in their room. Right, how that impacts your wandering eye, dad, becomes your son's wandering eye. Your daughter doesn't trust men. Your, your wife doesn't trust you. And there's all these things because of that. Or maybe it's, it's money and the almighty dollar reigns. And so you work 120 hours a week and you never see your kids. And so they raise themselves. I'm telling you. And you can talk to Talavo and everybody in high school ministry or middle school ministry. Your teenagers need dads. Dads, I mean, they need moms. Everyone loves mom. Hi, mom. You know, football players. They need dads. I'm just telling you, we are seeing the fruit of dadless children every day. They need you, dads. They don't need a new car. They need you. Promise you. Right? I'm just telling you, we see it all the time. Well, you got your pills, your gambling, whatever. It's going to cost you your retirement, it's going to cost your health. Just think about who was impacted. Think about the reputation of Christ, how Abraham has now brought God through the mud. All right? So much so that, next verse, verse seven, God tells Abimelech, and this is probably shocking to him, he says, Return the man's wife, for he is a prophet. This is the first time in all the Bible the word prophet is used. I'm wondering if Abimelech was like, Him? That guy? The guy that caused all this problem, he's the prophet? You are kidding me. God says, yeah, kind of ashamed to say it, but he is the prophet. (laughs) He's my chosen vessel. And so he got two options there, Abimelech. You can return her, you live. And if you don't, you die. Which one are you going to do? So clearly he's going to return her. Verse eight, so Abimelech rose early in the morning and called his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. And then so they go to Abraham. Abimelech calls Abraham and says to him, what have you done to us? How have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You've done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what did you see that you did this thing? Why would you do this? when he did this back in chapter 12, when Pharaoh was like, what's going on? Abraham says nothing. And he just leaves with his tail between his legs. A <laughs> like not having that. He wants to know, what, why? Why did you do this? And what Abraham should have said at this point, all right, what he should have done is said, you are right. I was scared. I was wrong. I have sinned against you. Please forgive me. That would have been good. That is not what he does. He's going to give three excuses. I think we'll identify with a couple of them. Number one, verse 11, he says, I did it because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place. They'll kill me because my wife. What is he doing? He's being a cynic. He's saying, the world in this place is bad. I mean, have you been to the high schools? Bad. Have you seen social media? Bad. Political realm? Bad. Everything's so bad. So I did it because everything else is bad. So mine's not so bad. I mean, everyone's cheating. So if I, I mean, how am I supposed to get the Hope Scholarship if I don't do a little bit of cheating? It's so bad anyway. I'm just doing a little bit. Everyone fudges the report just a little bit. It's just rounding up. Everyone does it. Everyone has a few too many once in a while. Everyone's got 18 credit cards. Why is it bad if I have 12? So bad. Aren't we glad we're not like Abraham? Right? What else does he do? Verse 12. He says, Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. We got different moms, but we have the same dad. So technically, she is my sister. This is (laughs) self-justification. I'm technically not lying because we have the same dad. That is true. But is that why he lied? No, it is not. He lied because he was scared. So this is the teenager. This doesn't count. I used to do this when I was in high school. I was a liar and I wasn't a Christian. But I used to say, going to the library... Pulled into the library. I'd have my book bag. I was such a legalist and not a Christian that I would literally walk into the library. And I'd walk right out. So if my mom asked me, where'd you go? I went to the library. And then I went over to my friend's house or went to a party. And I actually believe that junk. Right? Right? That's self-justification. If you knew who my husband really was, if you knew how my wife talked to me, you you would know that it's okay that I can look at these websites. It's, because she, the way she treats me and the way she talks to me, it's, it's not that bad, right? And we become a spin doctor. It's a deflection. It's, it's, and it's not my fault. Right? It's, your, it's the world is so bad. That's why I lied. Look, even if those things are true, it does not justify sin, specifically besetting sins, Right? And one more thing he says. He says, and when God caused me to wander, what's he doing there? He is blaming God, isn't he? This is God's fault. I was happy in her, the Chaldees. And every t- couple months, God has this move. It's all God. Who does he sound like? He sounds exactly like Adam in Genesis 3. Everything was fine, God, till you made her. <laughs> Remember, you gave her to me, and it's her fault. He's doing the same thing Adam does. He's the same thing we do. It's God, it's your fault. It's not me. It's, you're right. And then we said, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do to me. At every place we come, say to me, he is my brother. He's saying this. This is just what we do. We've been doing it for 25 years. It's habit. It's just normal for us. I just, I come from a house of addicts. We're addicts. We all, that's just who we are. Right? I just have, I mean, I always have anger problems. You just got to get used to it. It's, I call it a passionate flair but that's just who I am, and he's never going to change me. I'm just that way. Right? It's just habit. It's justifying. Right? And and these, these don't fly. They just don't fly. Self-justification, habit, being a cynic, no excuse. These are the sins for which Jesus dies. These are the sins for which he set us free. These are the things he wants us to flee. And so here is the the third thing, and kind of, Dealing with pathetic sins. And this, is, let me just tell you, is the hardest of all. Because all of us can kind of identify our triggers and all of us can kind of, you know, okay, I look at how this affects and play out the tape. We can do that. This is the hardest. But this is where healing comes. It's expose and confess. All right? Where the, that is the most unnatural thing for most of us because we do not want to know what people We don't want people to know what's going on in my heart because if my friends or my spouse or my coworkers or my mom and dad knew what was going on in here, they would be devastated, I would be devastated. And so we seek to hide. And here's the thing, sin always wants to remain secret because that's where it thrives. It's like mold, it just grows. And the only way to kill it is to expose it to the light. And that is a hard thing. But that's where healing is going to come for some of us. Right? Instead of hiding in the shadows. Isn't, you think, God is purposely going out of his way to expose Abraham. So, so dramatic in fashion that he chooses two pagan kings to do it at two separate points. That's how much he wants to get it out there. Not because he wants just to humiliate him. Because he wants to be healed. He wants him to be free. He wants him to trust. And so the idea there is, is get it into the light. Get it into the light. This is why in every 12-step program, whatever, what's the first step? It's, I'm Bill Fowler, and I'm a fill-in-the-blank. There's confession, there's ownership, there's, there's exposing. Right? That's the idea. This is why, again, you're meant to be living in community, not on your own. Because you cannot do it on your own. It's time for some of us to come out of the shadows. Right, and, and, and I'm not saying you, know, you stand up right now and air your dirty laundry That's not what I'm talking about I'm talking about getting help From those who care Getting accountability from those who love Saying this is where I'm at And it's going to mean some of you teenagers You're going to have to go to your parents and say Look this is where I'm at This is what's going on It's gonna be some husband, some going to mean maybe some husbands and wives going say Their spouse and saying this is what's going on Going to a roommate go, Whatever it is that's where, that's where healing begins. And I know it's so radical, but this is what this is what the New Testament teaches. Walk in the light. Right? Walk in the light where there is fellowship. That's, that's the, the heart of the New Testament. And if please, if someone comes to you and shares something with parents, if your teenage, your 13-year-old comes to you and says, Hey, this is where I'm at, do not flip out. You not be I can't believe you would do this to your family. You, you expect them to ever come back again? The goal of this is, is a husband goes to a wife or a, a community group, whatever it is, is restorative. It's to preach the gospel. It's grace. This is what we do confess our sins to one another and pray for one another. Right? That, that's the idea here. So there can be accountability. So that when you are struggling and one of those triggers has been triggered, you can call that guy and say, hey, dude, I'm in a bad place. Please talk to me. Pray for me. Whatever. Right now. Come get me. That, that's, that's the heart of this. Right? But there needs to be light shown on some of this stuff. If there's going to be victory and healing. Right? And there might be consequences and there might be stuff that happens. But that's the road to victory. And so we know our triggers. We, we think about it who are impacted, we expose. And here's the result. And this is the best part. Then we find grace. There's grace, right? Because, because God is a God of grace. You'll find a God who loves you, who is not surprised. He is not, you may think you're hiding in the shadows. He is, he's not confused about what's going on. He sees, he knows, Right? He's still pursuing and his goal is to expose so there can be healing so that he can bless, so that he can use. Look what happens in verse 14. This this is stunning to me. Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male servants and female servants. He gave them to Abraham and returned them to Sarah, his wife. Right? And, And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases. This guy ends up richer than he was before. How does that happen? Every time this guy messes up, he gets richer. Right, and, and then on top of that, Abimelech goes to Sarah and says, Behold, I've given your, your brother, I think that's a little knock at Abraham, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It's a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you and before everyone you are vindicated. So you got a guy who is more concerned about the reputation of Sarah than his own wife. He lets his wife get taken to a harem. This king says, here's a thousand pieces of silver. Your reputation is pure. I wonder if Sarah was like, he's a lot younger than that guy. (laughs) And he's got more money. And he's kind. I'm going with this guy. Go ahead, Abe. (laughs) But he is concerned about him. And here's what Abraham does. And this this is awesome. Then Abraham prayed to God. Remember, God told Abimelech, if you want to be healed, you got to go to the prophet. The prophet will pray for you. You're talking about that guy, the lying, conniving, faithless dude. He's going to pray and heal me. Absolutely. And I wonder if this is the first time Abraham has prayed in months. If this was an awkward deal. Where he just kind of feels shame and he's got to lay his hands on this guy. And he caused this deal. It's his fault. And he's going to pray for this guy. God, please open these wombs again. The irony, his wife's womb is closed and he's praying for their wombs to be open. And God answers. And what I want you to see is God uses a conniving, lying, caught in his besetting sin dude once again for his glory. And he is used as a blessing and a conduit of God's blessing to others. And and here's the problem with besetting sins, y'all. Some of you come in here this morning and I've been there. You have guilt and shame and you're hiding and you feel like I can't pray. And I saw the Lord's table in the back. We're taking the Lord's Supper. I can't take that today because I feel guilty. And you just feel dirty. You feel like you can't sing with everybody else because you're not worthy. And you feel like you can't do this because you're just this wicked, evil guy. And that's the problem with sin. It makes you feel that way because you are. But God in his grace and his mercy pursues Abraham. And God in his grace and his mercy pursued you. And he put his son on a cross and he nailed him there and he crushed him. And he poured out his blood so that you could be forgiven. And so that you could ultimately be free For whom the Son has set free is free indeed. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Romans says, You were a slave to sin. And you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time? The things you were ashamed about. For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's end eternal life. God has set you free from the sin. So why do you want to go back to it? Do you want to feel the shame? You want to feel the guilt? That's just the enemy. Here's Here's what he does. He tempts you to sin. Then you fall into it. Then he attacks you. I can't believe you did that. You call yourself a Christian. He is the enemy of your soul. He wants to steal your joy. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your reputation. He wants to destroy this church. He wants to take your kids. He hates you. He lies to you. Only Jesus tells you the truth, that you can be free in him, that if you confess your sins to him, that he is faithful and righteous and just and holy, and he will forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That's that's the road to freedom, right? That's what Christ offers. And he uses this guy and he can still use you. And he he wants to. He wants you to be free from that guilt and walk in the light. We're coming. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table, and I was was thinking about it this week. How amazing is this? So Jesus sits down on that Thursday night with these eleven guys. Judas is gone now. He is going to institute the Lord's table, and he's sitting with eleven dudes, and every single one of these brothers is going to betray him. I mean, one his best buddy. His dorm partner, he's been best buddies with Peter for three and a half years. And this dude is going to deny that he even met the guy. He he just just told Jesus, I will die for you. He's going to deny he even knows him. The rest of them are going to run off. Only one of them is going to hang out. And Jesus is still celebrating and he's showing grace and he institutes, here's this, this is, this bread is my body, which is broken for you, it's pierced for you, it's crushed for you. You're going to betray me in like four hours, but I still love you. In fact, John says he loved them to the end. And this is the, the blood of the new covenant. I'm going to pour out my blood so that you can have forgiveness and grace. And so that, that in, in 50 days, Peter, you're going to preach this sermon and 1,000 people come to Christ. Right? I'm going to still use you because of my grace. I want you to experience the grace of God today. If you came in here struggling, I want you to know there is nothing that is too great for Christ to forgive. And if you're a non-Christian and you're like, well, you know, what is this whole deal about? This deal about, is about this. You are a sinner separated from God. God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so that you could have eternal life. You have it by believing, by putting your faith in him. Period. That's why we celebrate the table. It reminds us of grace. And if you're a Christian this morning, we want you to take the table. If you're like, I'm not worthy, then spend some time confessing some sin. Turning, you're like, I just, I just came in and I... Good, that's why we confess and he is faithful and just. And so after a few moments of just confession, take. They're going to pass it out. Guys, you guys can come down. They're going to pass it out. When you are ready, you take and Ethan and his team are going to sing, and, and we're going to worship together, and we're, we're going to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ, forgives us, releases us from the penalty of our sin. Let me pray, and we will worship. Father, for your Son, we give you you thanks. We give you glory. We pray uh, that we would uh, just understand grace in our lives. That you uh, would move through these these areas that we struggle with. That we'd see more victory this week than we did last. That in 20, 25 years, we won't be wrestling with the same junk. I'll get, put people in our lives that will speak truth, that will encourage us. For those who need to come out of the shadows this morning, give them courage. I know that's hard. It's hard. But give them the grace to do it because that is where they're finding healing and growth um, in Christ's name. And just as we worship, uh, just... Just be honored and glorified as we remember your son's sacrifice for us. It's in his name we pray.